<clears throat> this is a Romy cast. Never get tired of being Beatles. When I play the drums, then I play a guitar, and I too play a guitar. Oh, is he dead? Sit you down, Father. Rescue. Take 12. Can we just have a little less guitar in here? Oh, that's all the that John finally got just after that and we could both of us do what we wanted to do what we wanted to do. If you think it was good, keep it if you don't scrap it. Yeah, it's not bad that one. Keep that one. Mark it fab. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of The Walrus Was Paul, a series of podcasts hosted by me, Paul Romanuk. Join me, and let's take a stroll along the cast iron shore and peel off the layers of the glass onion with another great musical guest as we discuss their favorite Beatles or Beatles solo record. I will mention that this is the award-winning podcast, The Walrus Was Paul, the podcast was voted winner, Outstanding Music Series, at the 2022 Canadian Podcast Awards. So thank you for that honor, folks at Canadian Podcast Awards. My guest on this episode is singer and songwriter and player Raquel Cole. Raquel is a 30-year-old dynamo who comes by her talent through a lot of hard work, but also, no doubt, growing up in a house that was, by all counts, filled with music. She got her first guitar at nine and was jamming with her dad, who was a drummer, uh, to a 70s rock and roll classics. But it's not in the classic rock genre that Raquel is making her mark. Nope. She is based in Nashville, Tennessee, and is recognized as one of the fine, young country music talents in the game. Her first Canadian country single release, Think About You, was named one of Sirius XM Country's biggest songs of 2021. And her latest single, a really catchy number called All To Yourself, uh, is available on all streaming platforms, a great video that goes with it as well. Uh, Raquel's website is RaquelCole.com. She is also on TikTok, Facebook, Insta, Twitter, and YouTube. Easiest way to find out about all things Raquel is to go to her website. Uh, links to all of those social channels as well. You can find her videos there. So that is her website, RaquelCole.com. You can also find out uh, when she's playing, maybe somewhere near you. The website for this podcast is romicast.com, and if you head there, you can find each and every episode that we have done so far. This is the 18th episode of Series 3. You can find all of the episodes from Series 1 and Series 2 and the other episodes in Series 3 right there at the website, or you can find them wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Our guest, Raquel Cole, referred to by American Songwriter Magazine as a dynamite vocalist, songwriter, and guitar slinger to boot. 
She joins me now to talk about the Beatles' biggest selling studio album, the 1969 classic, Abbey Road. Raquel, lovely to meet you, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about the Beatles. Oh my God, thanks for asking me. I feel like maybe I can give a millennial perspective. (laughs) Well, here's where I want to go with that. You were born, according to my math, and I was never great at it, about 23 years after the Beatles had called it quits. So I'll zoom ahead to the late 90s, early 2000s, when presumably you were becoming aware of music and artists. So what are your first memories of the Beatles from that time? It's funny because I think the Beatles have somehow been in pop culture forever. You know, it's like they never really left pop culture. And so I was getting into music and playing and listening. And my dad had said to me, he's like, well, everybody was influenced by the Beatles. And I'm like, what do you mean everyone? He's like, everyone. And I think when you're, you know, getting into music and you hear that, you think, well, what on earth? how how did they manage that you know so that was i was starting to write songs and and loved music and so that was one of the reasons i honestly went back and started listening to their songs was because i wanted to know what everyone else was influenced by you know if if every genre it seemed like was influenced by them hey well tell me a bit about your dad famously a drummer which uh, so th- there's your you know there's a musical presence right there but uh, like do you have memories as a little girl of him pounding on the skins I do yeah when we were little little he used to bring him out like every Christmas and put in the basement and we'd be like dad dad pull out your drums pull out your drums and uh, I think as soon as he saw that I loved singing when I was nine years old. He put me in guitar lessons, even though I specifically asked to learn piano. I'm grateful now uh, <laughs> because it's a lot easier to get your guitar on the plane uh, than it is a piano. But yeah, and uh, I think it was his secret plan all along was to get me to play guitar so I could learn old rock and roll so that we could jam in the basement and he could, you know. get back to being in a band (laughs) now maybe an obvious question but have you played with your dad you must have oh yeah uh in in my early days he would play like shows with me and a friend of mine played bass and we had like band practice every thursday uh it was fun uh so uh looking at this album we're going to talk about abbey road I thought you might have gone for a more country-sounding record. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Ringo's solo album, Bukus of Blues, which was recorded in Nashville, but you've chosen Abbey Road. What made you pick this one? Oh, it was so hard. I, I, I wanted to pick an actual album because I realized that my first Beatles album was the number ones, you know, all their, their number one hits, because, uh, you know... And um, I honestly chose this song because it has my favorite Beatles song of all time, which is something. Okay, good choice. And so we're going to talk about your favorite Beatles song of all time. We're going to talk about the remarkable amount of success you had early in your career. And it continues what you're up to, your new single. We're going to talk about all of that. But before we dive into the album, I do just want to give a little bit of context as to what was going on in the lives of the Beatles. So it was 1969, and that was a very busy year for the members of the Beatles. It was a crowded year. Uh, Paul married Linda Eastman. John and Yoko 
Bilkel went off on their bed-ins for peace. George's marriage to Patty Boyd was uh, disintegrating at that time, uh, and they were all involved in side projects. John had released Give Peace a Chance with the Plastic Ono Band. George had been spending time in Woodstock, hanging out with Bob Dylan and the band. So the Beatles had spent much of the entire month of January in 1969 working at Twickenham Film Studios in West London and their own newly built but not yet functioning very well Apple Studios on Savile Row in central London. And they were working on what was to become the Let It Be album. Uh, Infamously, the sessions were strained at times. George Harrison walked out on the group on January 10th during rehearsal sessions at Twickenham after he was bickering with Paul while being filmed and then later off camera he had a row with John and his parting words uh, famously were see you around the clubs boys and he was off Uh, the main let it be sessions finally wrapped up with filming on January 31st I have to ask you Raquel have you seen the get back film yes yes which is which honestly I'm very grateful I watched that before we're having this interview it gives me a little more perspective on what it was like there at the end well it was really strange at the end because you could see some group tensions but you could also see a lot of love and joy particularly when they played in the roof Uh, but it was weird because things wrapped up on January 31st you'd have thought they'd have just said I don't want to see anybody for months. But just a few weeks later, February 22nd, 1969, they reconvened at Trident Studios in London in Soho, where they ran through 35 takes of the basic track for John Lennon's I Want You, She's So Heavy. So they kind of just kept right on going. And then on April 14th of that year, John and Paul recorded the Ballad of John and Yoko in one day at Abbey Road Studios. Ringo was busy filming the Magic Christian movie with Peter Sellers. George Harrison was out of the country. Uh, So on the track, John plays acoustic and lead vocal. McCartney plays everything else, drums, bass, percussion, piano. Uh, The entire group then gets together a couple of days later to record Harrison's Old Brown Shoe as a B-side for the Ballad of John and Yoko. And then there was also some more work in early May on I Want You, She's So Heavy. So they come back to that and they start work on Octopus's Garden, Oh Darling, Something You Never Get give me your money, etc. Then they take about a two-month break. John goes off and does his bed in for peace and records Give Peace a Chance in Montreal on June 2nd. Uh, And then during this period, McCartney approaches George Martin, their producer, about producing an album like we used to with the kind of feeling that they used to get in the earlier days. And Martin later recalled, this is quoting him, Let It Be was a miserable experience for me, and I never thought that we would get back together again. So I was rather surprised when Paul rang me up and said, we want to make another record. Will you produce it for us? Really produce it. And I agreed, saying, if I'm really allowed to produce it, if I have to go back and accept a lot of instructions, which I don't like, I won't do it. I want to produce it. They agreed that he would. And so Abbey Road, Studio 2, block booked from 2.30 in the afternoon until 10 o'clock at night from July 1st until August 29th. They go in and get it done. The final mix-down session and the determination of the running order was held on August 20th, 1969. That was the last time that all four Beatles were together inside the recording studio where they had changed the face of popular music. That was the day. The album comes out on September 26, 1969 in the UK, October 1st in the USA and Canada. It enters the UK albums chart at number one on the 4th of October and stays there for 11 consecutive weeks. 
weeks. It spends another six weeks at the top from December 27th, uh, having briefly been displaced by Let It Bleed by the Stones. So it spends a total of 81 weeks in the charts in the UK. Abbey Road was the UK's best-selling album of 1969 and the eighth highest selling of 1970, the fourth highest of the entire 60s. In the USA, it debuts at 178, then boom, up to number four, and then tops the chart in its third week of sales. In Canada, it enters the RPM album chart at number 48 and then hits number one. As per chartmasters.org, it has global physical sales of 26.7 million. It is the biggest selling of the Beatles' original catalog albums. Uh, streamed? 228.4 million streams on Spotify. What would you guess, Rachel, if you had to just take a guess? What do you think is the most streamed song on the album? Oh, it's not a it's it's not a guess because I think I saw it. I think it's Here Comes the Sun. You are you're a winner. You got it. <laughs> 64.7 million streams on Spotify. Okay, well, let's jump into this. It is a side one, cut one, and come together. First thing is, what is he talking about? I mean, it's the the lyrics are strange and uh, and but yet the music isn't to me. I think it's it's very cool and the, I mean the way that Bringo does the little drum rolls in and, and the way that the bass is playing, it's very unique. I mean, I love that track. I think it almost feels like. Uh, not a kid song, but like Juju eyeballs, like kids would love lyrics like that, you know? Really swampy and thick sounding, lots of repeat echo on the vocals and the hand claps. Um, it's uh, John Lennon says this uh, Come Together is me writing obscurely around an old Chuck Berry thing. I left the line in, here comes old flat top. It is nothing like the Chuck Berry song, but they took me to court because I admitted the influence once years ago. I could have changed it to Here Comes Old Iron Face, but the song remains independent of Chuck Berry or anybody else on Earth. <laughs> to just, just to have, I don't know, to be able to write whatever, you know, like strange lyrics and, and your, yourself and then it be popular and people want to listen to it is, is such an interesting concept to me, especially living in Nashville and learning to write songs, learning to write a hit song. What does that mean? You know, what lyrics are going to connect to people? And, uh, I mean, come together though, obviously a great lyric all on its own. I think the Beatles are so, and they're also good at that as having standalone lyrics and then also, you know, all the lyrics coming together to make the song 
one of a kind. Uh, Ringo and Paul, when when the album was being remixed by Giles Martin a few years back in 2019, Ringo and Paul both said to Giles Martin, apparently, we were really good that day. So <laughs> even, <laughs> even they admire the track. Now, uh, John Lennon, you know, with the admitted pretty direct reference to Chuck Berry's tune, Can't Catch Me. I listened to your debut album, Personal Truth, from 2018, and, and you wear your heart right in your sleeve in the opening track with direct references to the great Tammy Wynette and also Aretha Franklin. So tell me a bit about that song, Country Soul. You know, it was funny because I recorded that album in Winnipeg with Chris Bergaffney and in November, we should have picked a better month, maybe July or June, because it was full on winter snow already. Uh, And I'm a BC girl, so Southern BC girl. So, you know, I do get snow, but that's a whole nother level apparently. But, uh, you know, Country Soul was, I think when you're constantly being, because in the studio, all you're doing is being creative, trying to create more guitar licks and more vocal moments. And like you're, you're creating from the ground up. And so Country Soul was like a, just kind of came out of nowhere. Like when you're sort of playing around on the mic and warming up and your brain is in that creative mode. So it just starts creating. If I'm gonna stand by my man Like Tammy said, he's gotta respect me Like Aretha said, and I'll be the best friend That you ever had All I need is a country That whole album that I made is about speaking your truth. And those are two artists that did exactly that, you know? And so we just kind of didn't really finish the song, just sort of started it and then thought, what a cool way to, you know, intro the whole album with just vocals, singing harmonies to make to make chords, to make like the instrument and then singing over it and making it soulful and bluesy. And this is the intro to personal truth. I thought when I listened to it as a listener to me, uh, when I heard the name checks, you know, Tammy Wynette, Aretha Franklin, to me for your first album opening track as a listener, I went, wow, she's really making a statement here. She's, you know, she's making a statement where she's at, who she admires, who she wants to be maybe. Uh, That's how it felt Mm -hmm. to me. Did it feel that way when you were recording it? Oh, yeah. I love that opening section. It was like my favorite part of the EP, which is funny because it's not exactly a full song. But yeah, it was it was fun. It was creative. It was different and it didn't follow, you know, verse, chorus, verse. It was just what it was, you know, and I think that's why we all love the Beatles, too. They didn't just follow the same patterns over and over again. They're always outside the box, but yet such ear candy, you know? So uh, we go from the first track, uh, Come Together, very swampy, very John Lennon song, and we go to track two, uh, the only single released from Abbey Road. It was coupled with Come Come Together as a double A-side. The first time a George Harrison composition had been released as an A-side, something. Something in the way she moves 
Oh, I love this song. I know many other people have, have claimed it as their favorite, but it's just beautiful uh, from musically to lyrically. Uh, I'm, you know, I. It's funny because. I didn't realize at first, you know, who wrote which songs. And then I started adding up my favorite songs and it was like Harrison, Harrison, Harrison. And I realized I loved his, maybe it's he's so guitar forward with his songs too. And I really enjoy that, but something, it's just a masterpiece. I think it makes you feel all kinds of things right down to your core. Uh, I also love the uncertainty. It's like a real love song, you know, it's not blowing smoke. It's he's being as honest as somebody could possibly be mm-hmm. about, you know, how they feel. Uh, the guitar solo, uh, are, are you, uh, are you a big soloist or do you tend more towards rhythm? You know, uh, it's been a journey for me and, uh, I have become more of a solo player over the years. I started out playing rhythm, but I think in the same way that I love creating melodies for singing, I also love creating melodies for solos. And uh, it's fun to just rock out and jam and play cool licks, but I think the best solos are the ones that are musical and thought out and add that next flavor to the song Uh, and so I really I really strive to have all the solos in my songs have a real memorable melody hey I see where and I see where you maybe as an artist connect a little with George Harrison because he was from what I've read very much like that the guitar solo in this song uh, he apparently according to uh, Jeff Emmerich who was the engineer he agonized over it changing it trying to get it just right and it was actually uh, it was he finally laid in the final guitar solo the same day that they put in the orchestral overdub so it was the last day the last moment he could he could possibly do it. the solo in something is one of the most iconic solos from the Beatles catalog but there's a funny story when George Harrison many years later was rehearsing to go play with his band in Japan uh, it was uh, the last tour that he did in fact before he died and he went and he played in Japan so he was rehearsing and one of the guitar players was a friend of his Andy Fairweather Lowe and they're rehearsing the song as the story goes and Harrison keeps playing it and and it's not quote the solo and finally the band stopped and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you're not playing the solo. And what are you talking about? Well, the solo, the solo that's on the album, you can't change that. And apparently it was lost on him just how iconic that it was. Oh, wow. That's an interesting story. I'm loving this. I feel like I'm learning so much uh, that I there's just so much to know about the Beatles. But yeah, you can't change things like that. That That's not to be messed with, you know? Well, well for, for your solos, are you because I've, I've spoken to musicians uh, who 
who do both. Like there's the, uh, I guess maybe the Jimi Hendrix where you go, okay, you've got uh, four bars or 16 bars or whatever it is. I, I don't play, but so fill it. And he'll go in and almost ad lib a solo. And then you have George Harrison who constructed his. It was a very constructed solo that would sound the same every time and he would agonize to get it just right. Which do you like to do? Free wheel or do you have it all blocked out? I think I have it all blocked out in the sense is that earlier with recordings where I didn't play as much on my records, I would have a guitar player or someone come in to play a part, even keys or whatever. And they would play something and it sounded fine, but my brain would automatically go, no, 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 no. I'm hearing this. And I think I, I'm proud of my most recent releases in the sense of I've started to get to put in those melodies and those thoughts um, a little bit more. And so I think just overall, you know, when you hear some of my most recent tracks, you're really hearing what I'm thinking up in my brain, which I think is cool. And I think that's what we all want to hear different artists. We want to hear, well, what do you, what do you hear? You know, and uh, it's, it's fun. Well, it's you, really fun. you talk about your recent work, Raquel, and that brings us very nicely to, uh, you know, something, uh, the only single release from the album, a beautiful song about love and a genuine love song, as, as you so nicely pointed out. Uh, but the single you released in July, All to Yourself, described as a bit of a musical homage to the Beatles. So tell me me how is it an homage to the Beatles <laughs> uh, now that you say it out loud it seems like a very audacious statement but uh you know I think because it's it's oddly has a lot of chord changes and I actually wrote it over zoom which there's only so much musically you can do over zoom and so it was during COVID and we were you know writing lyrics and kind of had a little bit of a guitar pattern going. And then it's like, I was like, all right, great, right. Close the computer. And I picked up my guitar and I started working through the melody changes and the chord changes. And the solo section is quite a departure from, from the verse and the chorus. It has a very different sound. It has a different feel. Uh, and I think, you know, the Beatles do that a lot. And George Harrison does that a lot. Paul, they all do it a lot. If you try and learn a Beatles song, they all sound so easy to play and they're just not. <laughs> and so I think All To Yourself, my new song is, it sounds really easy to play and it's pretty funny because, you know, even rehearsing it with the band this last weekend, it's not that they couldn't play it. It's not that hard, but there's a lot of chord changes that if you're not ready for it, doesn't just have the classic you know, four chords and the truth. It definitely is a little deeper than that. Any, any Beatles songs in particular that really jump out at you where you go, I love the chord changes in that and they really inspire me. 
I think something is definitely that song. I think I'm just looking at Abbey Road because that's what we were. Uh, Here comes the sun. You can really hear at the end of All to Yourself. There's we do a little walk down arpeggio thing, which is like all over. Here comes the sun. I think it's just funny listening to the Beatles music and realizing how much they've influenced me without realizing they've influenced me, which is probably everybody. Well, it's a great track all to yourself and uh, you can stream it wherever it is you like to stream your music. Uh, Let's get to the next cut on this album and it's one that can divide Beatles fans. Bang, bang, that's where Silverhammer came down upon a hill. Bang, bang, Maxwell Silverhammer made sure that she was dead. I think as a kid when I heard it, I thought it was very weird and uh, an odd song on the album for sure. But, you know, Yellow Submarine was already out. It's not like this was that crazy. It was to be expected. I wouldn't say it's my favorite song ever, but I think, again, it's fun. You're not going to not listen to it driving in your car. It's definitely... It gets happy, even though he talks about, you know, dead. It's a weird one. Uh, McCartney first brought the song to the Beatles. Uh, you would have, if you watch the Get Back, Let It Be sessions, you can see him showing the song to the band who were clearly in the movie less than enthusiastic about it. Um, it was on January 3rd. Uh, Ringo Starr says this. Here's here's a quote, and pardon the language in advance. Ringo Starr in a Rolling Stone interview in January of 2008 said, quote, The worst session ever was Maxwell's Silver Hammer. It was the worst track we ever had to record. It went on for fucking weeks. I thought it was mad. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's pretty hilarious. Also, just the thought of having to do it for weeks, though. Because I know how I feel in the studio sometimes you know well one nobody gets that much time anymore to record an album or a song nevertheless you know uh it just doesn't happen anymore and i don't even think artists with giant budgets get to afford to spend that much time making a record uh mccartney says in his book the lyrics i was very keen on this song but it took a bit long to record and the rest of the guys were getting pissed with me this song was also an analogy for when something goes wrong out of the blue as i was beginning to find happening around this time in our business dealings i was thrilled when i was able to rhyme quizzical with pataphysical in this song how often do you get that chance (laughs) I'm like, okay, I could do better with my writing. You know, I could write some some better rhymes. <laughs> uh, now, a great example, this song, of a situation where McCartney was clearly on a different page from his bandmates. And history has shown us that this happens with bands. Uh, I would imagine there's a real skill involved in balancing the band with what you might want to do. And I read another interview that you did where you said... Having the hard conversation is much better than going with the flow and doing something because you felt like you had to and not giving it your all. So very at, at this stage of your career, how has that approach served you well? I think being able to look back and be proud of what you've done and feel... 
Because you can always blame others, right? Like, all right, how do I say this? Like, if you make the mistake, it's like, okay, I can blame it. I can live with that. You know, I'm going to do better. But if you let somebody else make the mistake and you didn't say anything, there's nothing more regretful than that, than being like, I could have said something. I could have spoke up and I didn't. Can't go back and change that. And music is such a, a personal thing. You, it's got your name on it forever, you know? And so I think when I finally figured that out, it gave me a lot more courage in the studio and in my writing sessions to be myself and write what I have to say and what I'm hearing musically because I'm the only one that can do that. And I want to play stuff that makes me happy and I'm proud of because it's who I am. I think that's whatever anybody does in their life. If it's not music or, you know, even planting your garden, may it be a flower that you love. Oh, I love that. It's a great philosophy. Uh, and it's served you well so far by the looks of things. So good on you. Um, so we go to the next cut on the album. It, 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 Maxwell Silverhammer, which can divide. Some people like it. Some people don't. Uh, I'm kind of a meh, but uh, hey, it's uh, you know better than uh, uh, better than the song on my album, uh, which I've never had. So <laughs> easy to be a critic. Uh, but I love this next song. Classic McCartney. Oh, darling. Uh, what do you think? about this track oh yeah oh darling please believe me I'll never do you no harm believe me when I tell you I'll never do you no harm Loved, loved, loved. I think the vocal performance is just so rock and roll and so emotional. Uh, I definitely love that and makes me want to be more emotional on a recording. I think when we get live on stage, sometimes it'll come out because it's you're feeling it and, and you're going to sing a little bit more. And sometimes in the studio, we play it safe and they definitely didn't play it safe on this track. Uh, just a absolutely, I agree with you, sensational, maybe one of his greatest ever vocal performances with the Beatles. Uh, he, he's using the same singing voice that he used in a track called I'm Down from 1965, where he's just given her. Um, and it, it was interesting the way he did it. Uh, he lives, he still has a home on Cavendish Avenue, which is just a couple of streets away from the Abbey Road recording studios. And so he got into the habit of arriving before the other Beatles during the sessions and he'd record his vocals for the song. And he came in several days running to do the lead vocal on Oh Darling. He'd come in, sing it and say, nah, that's not it. I'll try it again tomorrow. He only tried it once per day and he was just looking for that certain rawness, which could only be done before, you know, your voice sort of changed as the day went on and and uh, he said uh what's his quote five years ago i could have done this in a flash he said at the time referring i suppose to the days of long tall sally and kansas city he goes now it's taking me some time so even back then he thought uh, he thought that his voice was starting to change but yeah, i agree it's just a, a mind-blowing vocal performance oh yeah love love that song 
so then we go from that to uh, a Ringo song. And you talked earlier about uh, sort of kiddie songs. This is a classic, uh, Octopus's Garden. I'd like to be under the sea In an octopus's garden in the shade He'd let us in, knows where we've been In his octopus's garden in the shade How fun. Wants to live under the sea, you know, in an octopus's garden. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, how on earth does anyone come up with that? And I know how. I know how. And, uh, but still. (laughs) Oh, well, as you know, like the story is he he had a, a row with his fellow bandmates and he left. And what do you do when you have a row with your bandmates? You go on a little holiday to clear your head. So he went with his uh, buddy Peter Sellers uh, on his yacht in Sardinia. Uh, and he got to chatting with local fishermen. And they told him how octopuses pick up stones and shiny objects and build little gardens with them. And that went ding. And uh, there is was the, uh, the genesis of Octopus's Garden. But to even hear that and think there's a song in that, I think is what's interesting, you know, because the songwriters were always trying to pick up ideas from what people say and what we see and movies we watch. Not sure that I would have heard that story and thought I should write a song about it, which is just amazing. And we should all write more octopus garden songs, I think. Well, it's in, I want to pull on that thread a little bit because I've, I've spoken to artists who go, you know, there are some, uh, Gordon Lightfoot famously, who somebody would, he, it was a job. He went into uh, you know his music room and he sat down uh, and he got out the, the paper and he wrote a song. I'm going to write a song today, uh, and he mm-hmm. whether he. But then I've also talked to people who do it. You know, the, like this Ringo situation. Uh, I had an artist on recently who was driving along in a car and saw a road sign that said the Devil's Punch Bowl, ten miles, and he went, "Oh, Devil's Punch Bowl! What a great title for a song!" And he went from there. So, what about you, Raquel? Do you sort of are you walking around like antenna always up, or do you sit down and go, "Okay, I'm going to write a song about uh, falling in love," or "I'm going to write a song about a spring morning"? How does it work for you? Well, I. I think we're all filling the well subconsciously or consciously, right? So even somebody that shows up to the page that day to write a song, you're still pulling from the well, which has been filled from being out in, right? A lot of times subconsciously. And I think I'm more of the subconscious as in I'm out in the world and I'm not thinking of songs. And so then when I do get to the page or to the writing room, it will present itself and it's like wow that's really cool but it definitely was inspired and sometimes i can trace it back and sometimes like which is interesting cool uh so last cut on the first side and i want you she's so heavy this was the first track that they started to record for the album it kind of it kind of bled out of the let it be sessions and into the start of what was to become abbey road uh i love this song what about you oh it's fun it, it's uh, it's intense though, you know. Oh, 
like again, it's, it's it's like oh darling in the sense that it's it's emotional and it's it's just rocking in in but in a slow like you know swampier way. But it's interesting to me that this this is the song though that sort of inspired the record. But then it isn't. It's a very diverse record, don't you think? Yes, uh, it is. Uh, you know, you have especially the two sides. You know, we'll get to side two in a moment, but you have, of course, the more traditional individual tracks on side one, and then it's almost a, a pop symphony on side two. And we have everything from a a, a children like a childlike song with Octopus's Garden to I Want You, She's So Heavy. John Lennon said uh, this about it uh, in an interview in Rolling Stone. This is I'm quoting John Lennon here. A review, a reviewer wrote of "She's So Heavy." He seems to have lost his talent for, for lyrics. It's so simple and boring. "She's So Heavy" was about Yoko. When it gets down to it, like she said, when you're drowning, you don't say, "I would be incredibly pleased if someone would have the foresight to notice me drowning and come and help me." You just scream. And in "She's So Heavy," I just sang, "I want you, I want you so bad. She's so heavy." I want you like that. That's John Lennon's recollection of the song. It's a heavy song. It is a heavy song, hence the lyrics. Uh, I think I think every song on this record has a buddy, if that makes sense, though. You know, I think Come Together kind of helps that song in the sense like having its, you know, reason for being on the record in space. But they all have a buddy. Uh, but I mean, it's rock and roll. It's rock and roll to to scream the same lyric, and same with like it's rock and roll to to play the same guitar riff over and over again. You know, I think it's it has a place on this record for sure. At that grinding three minute finale featuring Lennon's and George Harrison's massed overdub guitars, they're multi tracked many times over the same relentless chord pattern, uh, which was slashed at full volume to give the impression that that it could have gone on forever. Um, and they also used a white noise generator in the studio to just, which you can hear, it just gradually increases in volume until you have this big just wall of guitars and white noise. And then it's really cool, that abrupt ending, uh, it was during the final mix of the song on August 20th, uh, which uh, trivial, I'll note tri- for trivia, uh, was also the same day they took the photos for the cover. Uh, but so there editing it and he just said end it there it was like that snip boom Done. Yeah, and that's cool. And, and it's you know when of course you know vinyl is coming back, so it's it's cool the sequencing of records. But I can't imagine. Well, I can't imagine because the first time you play it and you're listening to that side, you're just sitting there and there's this song and it's building and building. And as you said, the guitar patterns are rep- and then all of a sudden it's just boom. And for me you just kind of sit there for a second and go, what was that? Yeah. You almost think there's something wrong with your record or your record player. Like that's what I was thinking when I was listening to this, um, the other day before our, um, our review, I was just, it, I know that's how it ends, and it still catches me off guard every time. Uh, Raquel, thanks, and let's take a break now, and I will look forward to continuing our conversation about Side 2 of Abbey Road next time. Oh, thank you so much. You can find out what Raquel is up to by visiting her website, RaquelCole.com. There are links at the site to her videos on YouTube, as well as her music on Bandcamp, and on all streaming platforms, for that matter. You can also find Raquel on TikTok, 
Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, easiest thing to do, go to her website, links to all of the social channels, and you can also take a look at her videos. If you've enjoyed this episode, or any of the episodes for that matter, please consider making a donation to support the ongoing production of this podcast. I keep it ad-free and any little donation helps keep it that way. You can offer your support if you visit the website and click on the Support the Walrus button. Uh, along those lines, shout out to Joel Amirol for his recent donation. Joel sent along an email with his donation that said, I first learned about this podcast after hearing TR, that's Terry Ryan, interview you on his podcast. Yes, I do remember that. That was a very enjoyable interview. Terry, a pretty cool and talented hockey guy, also an actor. So take a look for his podcast if you want to listen to me being interviewed rather than doing the interviewing. In any event, I'm glad you heard it, Joel. And uh, Joel saying, I've been hooked ever since. Uh, Keep them coming. You bet. I will indeed. And Joel, thanks again for the donation. Much appreciated. Uh, By the way, uh, if you're a big Abbey Road fan and you want to hear a couple of other artists' takes on the album, then you can check out the archive for The Walrus Was Paul. You will find singer-songwriter Jane Gowan's episode in Series 1. It is Episode 4. She was the first of our guests to take a crack at Abbey Road. This is the song I want playing when I walk into the light at the end of times. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's just those harmonies. They really get me. I mean, I love harmonies. I think I just, that's partly why I love the Beatles so much is because of their harmonies. And this, you get it, you know, as you say, three times three and all those intricate chords that George Martin worked out on the piano for them. And they're just beautiful. It took them a long time to practice those, but it show it shows. I mean, the result is magnificent. Uh, and then Jim Cuddy and Colin Cripps of Blue Rodeo talked about Abbey Road in series two, episodes 11 and 12. The emotional response I still have to this record, even walking up here, just giving myself a refresher course on it. It just, I had to stop when, when the end comes on and just, gather myself a little bit so I realize that it uh, it's so deeply embedded in my psyche that uh, is a hugely impactful record so if you're a big Abbey Road junkie uh, a couple of other different takes there from different artists both really good episodes uh, Raquel will be back next time to talk about side two of the Beatles 1969 classic that is on the next episode of The Walrus Was Paul you can follow the podcast on the usual socials Twitter Instagram you can find me at the handle Romanuk Paul on both of those on Facebook you do a search for The Walrus Was Paul podcast page and if you'd like to get in touch you can email me at the.romicast at gmail.com positive reviews and shares on your social channels also always a big help that is it for now uh thanks for joining me i'll look forward to talking to you next time i'm paul romanuk i will talk to you later Get tired of being Beatles.